So tonight we are at seven common diseases affecting many Christians, part three. And tonight we are looking at spiritual dampness, the inability to speak, the inability to speak, spiritual dampness. And let me quickly show you how the devil has succeeded in silencing a lot of Christians. How Satan has succeeded in silencing a lot of Christians. So, can I see the next slide? In Christianity, if you cannot preach the gospel to the sinner, pray without ceasing, praise God with your last breath, or prophesy to dry bones, then Satan has succeeded in silencing you, and that is spiritual dampness. Anybody agrees with me? Amen. So, four key things here. And deliberately started all with P so that you don't forget them. If Satan succeeds in preventing you from preaching the gospel to the sinner, or pray without ceasing, or praise God with your last breath, or prophesy to dry bones, then Satan has succeeded in silencing you and that is spiritual darkness. So four quick things I want us to look under spiritual dampness. Number one, preaching the gospel to the unsaved or the sinner. Mark 16 and the verse 15. He said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. If you are not preaching the gospel to all creation, if you are not an evangelistic Christian, then the devil has succeeded in making you, or has started succeeding in making you dumb. If you are not preaching the gospel, the greatest commission, assignment, that God has given to any Christian on earth is preaching the gospel to all creation. Preaching the gospel to all creation. That is your greatest assignment. Not some creation, but every creature you are supposed to preach the gospel. Unfortunately, Satan has succeeded in making Christians dumb when it comes to preaching the gospel to the sinner. We can talk about everything with anybody except talking about the gospel to somebody. Can I repeat myself? We can talk about everything with anybody except preaching the gospel to somebody, to someone. That is the major problem of today's church. The major problem of today's believer. You ask yourself, the amount of complaints, the amount of memories, the amount of gossip, the amount of, of joking, 
the amount of arguing over football, the amount of arguing over movies and who is the best star and who is not the best star, if you have used 10% of it to tell somebody Jesus loves you, to just tell somebody Jesus loves you and you have to be in church with me coming Sunday, just 10% of it, you see how influential you will become as a Christian. Somebody mentioned years ago, when I was in Bible school in Germany, the person said, evangelism is one beggar telling the other beggar where he found bread. One beggar telling the other beggar where he found bread. So it is like this. Me and someone, both beggars, begging by the road, looking for money to buy bread. Then I suddenly, I stopped begging. Every day I pass there, I see this other beggar. And I say, bro, see you tomorrow. And then I pass. Then bro saw that I was not begging, but I was growing fat. I was all right and healthy. I was no longer begging, you know, but things were going fine for me or are going fine for me. So bro decides to investigate. So one day whilst I was passing, bro follows me and goes to see that there's a, bread, a place where they give food for free. So, okay. So the next day, bro also did not come to beg, but went to that place and found food. This other beggar who got the food first came and said, hey bro, how did you find here? This is why I've been coming, you know. This is why I'm looking nice. This is why my family is looking nice. Look at me. He said, no, you are a very wicked brother. We've all been begging in one place. And you found a place where you could find food and you didn't tell me. That's, that's evangelism. Evangelism is telling someone, another beg one beggar tell the other beggar where he found food. Have you told your friends? I'm going to show you something very soon. Let me also look, tell you a story. A story of, of a guy who was a cleaner with another guy. And notice that this other guy, despite the fact that things were difficult, the economy was bad, divorces were taking place, people were getting sick, all manner of bad things were happening around. This particular guy comes to work all the time singing and happy and excited and was cleaning. And then he used to ask himself, so why is this guy always happy? Until one weekend, somebody invited this other beggar, this other cleaner to church and accepted Jesus. And then suddenly he also had joy. But what he noticed was that the song this guy had been singing whilst cleaning. He heard some of the songs in the church. So he said, ah. So this guy has found the Jesus I have just found. And he didn't tell me about it, and I cleaned with him for so many years. So he went to work the next day, also started singing some of the songs, and was very happy. So this other guy stops and says, Wow, you're singing the songs I've been singing. And I see you are very joyful. What, what happened to you over the weekend? He said, 
I found the Jesus you didn't share with me. I've been working with you for all these years. You didn't tell me about Jesus. Someone else told me about Jesus. You are a very wicked person. I don't know if any of the characters in these stories I have just told you represents you. If it does, you are dumb. You are, Satan has silenced you. The most important communication that gets into the ears of God and gets the attention of God is for God to hear a believer witnessing to an unbeliever. It is the only way you make God happy. What the Bible says, if one soul comes to the Lord, the whole heaven rejoices. The whole heaven rejoices. The whole of heaven rejoices if just a single soul comes to the Lord. Someone will say, Daddy, but this thing is very difficult. I don't even know how to preach. These things, evangelism, nowadays, people don't listen to the gospel. Nowadays, people don't even allow us to get to their homes. Nowadays, we are busy. Nowadays, all the excuses that you have for not speaking the gospel, not preaching the gospel, not preaching the gospel. If God should just have one excuse that he's so busy that he forgot to turn on your oxygen. Where would you be? So hear this. Hear this statistics. Some time ago I told you that. Imagine that oxygen is paid for. And all of us, we have nosimeter. Nosimeter. So everybody has a meter around your nose. That you have to buy oxygen. And put it inside. And that if you don't buy oxygen, they disconnect you. If the time comes and your oxygen is finished and you don't buy, you are just disconnected. How many of us would have survived? How many of us would have survived? I said, when I was put on oxygen, that was where I realized how God has been good to man. How God has been good to man. That the, some of the most important things in life are the things you, God has not given it to anybody to sell. If God gave oxygen as a natural resource to certain countries or to certain people, like petrol is sold by certain people and you could have crude oil in certain countries and not other countries. If God had added oxygen to it. <laughs> hey, but look at the statistics. Why people come to church? This is based on a research by the American Institute, uh, Institute for American Church Growth. They realized that one to two percent of people that go to church go to church because they have a need. So you see, all these things about oh, let our church go someplace and distribute food and distribute this is important, but it's not the major source of evangelism. Because you do that, it, is, it, it only brings 1% to 2% of people. When we started the East Legon branch, every weekend, a group of brothers in this church, selfless brothers, people who love the Lord, will go to the communities, the, the squatting communities and village around East Legon and distribute rice. And not just ordinary rice, perfumed rice. And gallons of oil every weekend though. And people be coming to church. People be coming to church. 
But I told them I have been in the work of evangelism for very long. This approach will not work. They said, oh, daddy, they are coming. I said, it must be everlasting. Because if we stop, the week they stopped, the attendance from those communities reduced. The following week, it reduced. By the time the East Lincoln Church stabilized, not more than 1% of the people they used that approach had remained in the church. Number two, walk-ins. That people just seeing the church and walking in. And that's why the location of your church is important. It's 2 to 3%. You get 2 to 3%. So there are people here who actually are in church because they, they walked in. I've met people. So I was just passing, I saw the tent, and I came to church. Then the pastor's ministry is 5 to 6%. Then visitation, 1 to 2%. One to two, and this is based on research. There's Sunday school. Sunday school. People that we take them through Sunday school. When with all the invest, the children, all the investment that church puts in Sunday school and other things, at the end of the day, only four, only four to five percent actually contributes. Crusades, where we spend money a lot, contributes to growth. Half percent. Oh, daddy, let's go. Let's do crusade here and let's do crusade there. Half. Check programs. Prophet, this is coming. Bishop, this is coming. The gathering of the eagles. Supernatural manifestations. Art pouring. So if you like, go through church and find out how many people are in church as a result of all the mega programs we used to do. You will find that only few. So what really brings growth to church? They establish that friends and relatives. Friends and relatives. And if you, died, if you like, next Sunday, let a PR group stand outside and start taking who brought you to church? Who brought you to church? You will see Friends and relatives bringing people more to church. Than anything. Are you here? Than anything. And some of you are tested. Some of you are in church because of friends. Some of you relatives brought you. So that's why in the olden days that in the new testament church the church focused on winning families so having said friends and family bring a lot of people to church can we see how can we see evidence in the bible and how we can do it so look at the next slide don't let satan silence you the silencing of satan is dampness spiritual dumpling so this is you you are surrounded by four or five groups of people number one your common kinsmen that is family almost everybody in mommy's family is in church almost everybody in my family are at least siblings are in church some of you can say you are either here with your husband or here with your distant 
So your first place for evangelism, your first place for evangelism are people within your family, family members, family members, family members. You must share the gospel with them instead of spending time praying for them to die. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So your wicked uncle who is blinded by the devil and is involved in in fetishism should perish and die and go to hell. Do you want to depopulate hell or you want to populate heaven or you want to populate hell? You want to push more people to hell? Do you want to push more people to hell? You know why? Even in your community, you just decide that these people, they are, they are for hell. They belong to this other religion. And no matter what you do, they will not listen to the gospel. So I have led them to go to hell. But the, that, but the other people who will listen to you, have you shared with them? One time, years ago, one, we were just in a fellowship and we were asking questions. And I was preaching about um, prayer. I was just a young man. I was brother Gideon and teaching a group of people about prayer. And somebody got up and said, me, I can't do long prayers because I don't have a lot of topics. I don't have a lot of prayer topics. I said, is your mother born again? No. Your father born again? No. Your siblings, are they born again? No. Do you have bad uncles and bad aunties who are doing bad things in the family? Yes. I said, your family alone should give you prayer topics for your lifetime. Are you here? Are you following what I'm teaching you? So it's very important. You have the first group of people you are supposed to witness to are your family. Your wife, husband, your children, your brothers, sisters, your aunties, your cousins. These are people who must be born again. Who you must witness to. Who you must send the gospel to. Who you must um, testify about Jesus to. And your, the first testimony is your character. The first testimony is your personal character. People in your family must see you, see the impact of the gospel on your life and follow you to church. They must respect you and honor you. Don't comfort yourself with the saying that a prophet is not honored in his own country. Please, I beg you, Jesus was honored by his siblings. He was honored by his mother. He was honored by close associates who knew him. He may not have enjoyed the, the, the honor of the larger community, but the immediate close people around him honored him. They honored him because he showed them that he was the light of the world. If you show that you are the light of the world, people will follow you. I said, if you cannot preach at all, if you cannot spread the gospel to anybody, share your testimony. Please, not a testimony about how much money you have made since you gave your life to Jesus. Not a testimony about how many houses you have since you gave your life to Jesus. They are vanity. It's testimony about how has changed. I used to be a wife beater. I have been changed. I used to be a drunkard. The gospel has changed me. I used to be a husband insulter. I used to, I used to sleep with prostitutes today look at me there are some of you eh, who are too big who are too big to tell us 
what God has changed in your life. You were either too big to share it, or you were too small because nothing has changed in your life. But if you truly are born again, you should consistently be testifying to your friends about Jesus. No, no, you see, in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 and 2 and 24 and 44, you see that when Colinius, a man who feared the Lord, immediately he heard that Peter has come to his house. He called his family, all his family members, and called his friends to come and join. Peter has come. He's coming to preach. The first major evangelism in the book of Acts by an individual was Colinius. And the first people he reached, his family members and friends and neighbors. Then common location, still on Colonial's issue. Common location, common location, common location. Your neighbor, the community where you live, make friends. Don't say that. Do not be equally yoked with unbelievers. Do not tell your children that those who live in their own computer buildings are bad people, they are evil people, and don't go and play with them and be careful about them. Those people, do you know why God put you there? God put you there to witness to them, to share the gospel with them. That's why God put you there. Your neighbor must hear the gospel. The people in your community must hear the gospel. You, you cannot even preach it all. Satan has silenced you so much that you can't preach it. And he has made you so lame to the extent that you cannot even take the handles we give you to go and knock at the doors of your neighbors and just tell them, Jesus is Lord. Our church is having a program and I felt as my neighbor, I want to invite you. The last Sunday of this month, we are doing double up service. If every person brings a soul, we will fill this house. We'll fill, we'll double fill this house. We will double fill this house. Everybody brings one soul. So we are going to give you an invitation called the Good Neighbor Sunday. Your duty is to go to your neighbor and invite your neighbor to church. If we say, I, I don't have a neighbor, I do, all my neighbors are not good people, they are not on talking terms with me, you are a bad Christian. I'm telling you, you are a bad Christian. Hmm. Number three, eh? common vocation. People you work together. When Levi, when Jesus decided to go to the house of Levi, he invited his fellow, that is, he invited his fellow task collectors to that dinner. Mark 21, 14 and 15. His fellow tax collectors. The other people you must preach the gospel to. Satan has not dumped, has not made you spiritually dump. In your office, you can talk about everything. You can talk about everything. A to Z of everything. The only thing you can talk about is Jesus. It's difficult. People don't like coming to church. You do, sir. They will not mind you. Hey, even people you employ, people you employ and pay, you can't get them to come to church. Your colleagues, 
if you are a Christian and your colleagues are not calling you or suffer, then Satan has silenced you. Satan has put nose marks <laughs> on you. It affected your mouth. You can't talk. I'm telling you. Before COVID came, instead of putting on nose, please, you see the way, when you go home, take a picture of yourself in nose marks and say, because I have not preached to my neighbors and to my family and to people, my, my colleagues, this is how I look spiritually. It's true. That's how you look spiritually. That's how many Christians look spiritually. One doctor must talk to other doctors. One banker must talk to other bankers. One corporate executive must talk to other corporate executives. You must take the gospel to... So, this thing, I don't have time. That is why I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't join church for evangelism. Oh, oh, oh. Daddy is still organizing crusades. The church is still calling for evangelism. Oh, the church is not doing this. I'm showing you that every single day of your life, there are opportunities to tell people about Jesus. People you have common interest with. You, pray, you play basketball with people and you haven't told them about Jesus. You, do, you support the same thing with other team with other people and you meet to discuss your football teams. You haven't told them about Jesus. You play golf with people. You haven't told them about Jesus. You play tennis with people. You haven't told them about Jesus. And then others. Others. When you go to Salon, have you tried to tell them about Jesus? People who come, your customers who come to buy from you, have you told them about Jesus? So, you see, you can share Jesus without you, without it costing you anything. It will not cost you time. It will not cost you money. It will not cost you anything. The only thing it will cost you is taking a little of the love of Christ in your heart and putting the other person's heart. The only thing it will cost you is that there are a few words that you will tell people about Jesus. The way you can talk when it comes to football, the way you can talk when it comes to other people's matters, if you convert that into preaching about Jesus. Like I'm telling you, just 10% of your talking every day for Jesus. Say, you are paying a tithe of talking. You sit in, a, in an Uber, an opportunity to tell the Uber driver, Jesus loves you, and give the person an invitation to church. You sit in Trotro, an opportunity. If you are not the bow type that can preach to everybody in the Trotro, the person sitting beside you must hear about Jesus from you. But this is what you do to show you truly love Jesus. The next thing that if you don't do, Satan has silenced you and you have become damp in the spirit is not to pray. We must pray without ceasing. We must pray without ceasing. Now, when I come to talk about prescriptions 
for a healthy life, which will deal, provide solutions to some of these sicknesses I'm, I'm talking about. One of the areas I'll be dealing with in this scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. One of the prescriptions I've been giving you is how to keep the joy of the Lord because it is your strength. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Unless you are outside Jesus, then there are some circumstances you must cry. But if you are in Jesus, you must rejoice in all circumstances. But our focus on the, page, uh, on the verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing until you see the result for that prayer topic. Don't stop praying. When we were growing up, there used to be the concept of uh, prayer by faith. All of us have preached on before. That pray on one topic and believe it that God has that, been answered. And when you believe God it is answered, don't pray about it again and wait. Please. The Bible doesn't support that in most instances. The case of Daniel does not support that. He had to continue to pray until the answer was provided. The answer that didn't come on the first day was not because he didn't have faith. It didn't come because it was prevented from coming. Do you understand that? Do you understand? Jesus' parable of the wicked judge and the widow teaches us that we should pray and we should not give up in prayer until we see the answer to that prayer. Brother, if it will take you 15 years for God to answer that prayer, continue to pray. The case of Elisha and his servant was, is a clear example of, of God. I've had the sound of abundance of rain, but keep on listening, keep on listening, keep on listening. I'll keep on praying until I see a sign, until I see a sign, until I see a sign. The case of Anna in the New Testament, the woman that prayed who lost her husband and became a prayer warrior and prayed for years. She lost her husband at an old, at a younger age, but she prayed until she became an old lady for the coming of the Lord Jesus. For the coming of the Lord Jesus. And she prayed consistently. She prayed without ceasing. The reason why some miracles are not taking place in your life is because along the line, you have given up on certain prayer topics. And you have thought that, let it go. You have become discouraged. If Satan discourages you from praying, you are finished. You have become damp. The only language God hears is the language of preaching to the sinner, the language of evangelism, and the language of prayer. Any other language, he does not understand it. He does not understand it. Any other language, he does not understand it. One of the things that kept me on the street preaching was when I discovered from the Bible that Jesus said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, that you will go out and bear fruit, fruit that shall remain. Then you will ask the Father anything in my name, and it shall be given unto you. Anything in my name. And I have seen, I have seen how easy prayers are answered if it is combined with evangelism. 
Oh, then you ask the father anything. For those of you who have heard about me preach about the 12 laws of prayer. One of the laws of prayer is the law of fruitfulness. Once you are bearing the fruits of evangelism, the fruits of evangelism, God answers your prayer. God answers your prayer. So pray without ceasing and activate all the forces and all the things that you must do for God to answer your prayer. It is not doubt to re repeat a prayer. In fact, it is faith to keep repeating a prayer. It is believing in God to keep repeating prayers and keep asking God for the same thing. If it would take you 100 years for God to answer, every single day for 100 years, tell God about it and he will answer. Are you here? Three, praise God. Praise God with your last breath. Praise God with your last breath. So we are talking about dampness. If God does not hear you praise him, he feels you are damp. So God hears the prayer, the voice of evangelism. He hears the voice of the prayer warrior. And hears the voice of the praise singer. Any other voice, God does not hear. Any other voice, God does not hear. Hear this. Psalm, 10, Psalm 150 verse 6. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, the fundamentals of, pra of praise is breath. Once you have breath, you should praise God. In other, in other words, the fact that you are alive is enough to praise God. You, you don't need God to give you a house for you to praise him. Oh, unfortunately, eh, many Christians will open their building with a party, not Thanksgiving, and invite their friends and show off and serve all manner of alcohol and do other things and will not even bring God an offerings to thank him. No, no, no. That's, that, is, that is how the church has backslided. That is how the church has backslided. In the Old Testament, in the book of Acts, no, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the New Testament church, people were selling their houses and selling their lands and bringing their money and laying it at the apostles' feet. Today, what are people doing? God is blessing people. And what do they do? They rather use it. They cannot even testify. They cannot even share testimonies. They cannot praise God in testimonies to let people know what God has done for them. Because they are afraid that if people get to know God is blessing them, other people will come and ask them for money. Some are even afraid that if they share their testimony, testimony they will be attacked. We overcame him by the word of our testimony. You overcame. Testimony is a weapon. It's a form of praise and it's also a weapon. If, if you share your testimony and Satan attacks you afterward, then you were praising yourself, not God. You were praising yourself, not God. If you share your testimony and people come looking for the money you have or the houses you have, it was because in sharing your testimony, you place yourself at the center of the testimony and you did not teach people how to trust God for this. I've seen that before. 
<coughs> excuse me, I've seen and heard even pastors sharing testimony of God using them, and they bring themselves to the center of it. At the end of the day, you don't see an anointed Jesus. You see an anointed man of God. Who wants you to feel? No, water is okay. Thank you. Who wants you to feel that all the other pastors who cannot do what I'm doing are all useless pastors? I saw how pastors wanted to show off to the whole world how anointed they are and how COVID-19 is nothing and how they are not afraid. Me, me, I'm waiting for COVID-19. Let COVID-19 come. Me, me, Okataji. Let COVID-19. When, who are you? Who are you? You see, when your testimony is about you, not about Christ, the Satan will attack you after that. But if it's about Christ and he points to the glory of God and he praises God, you will overcome him by the word of your testimony. It's a whole weapon. Let me show you this scripture. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig trees does not bad, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the store, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I'll be joyful in my Savior. Your praise does not cease, because things are not happening. It's rather when things are not happening that you praise God the more. That you praise God the more. In other versions, it says, I will praise the Lord. Then I will praise the Lord. Then I will praise the Lord. Now, if you can praise God as a Christian, so one of the things that God hears, God hears, God hears, looking at us, dampness, God hears, one of the, God hears the voice of praise. God hears the voice of praise. And your praise becomes a weapon. Psalm 8 verse 2. Look at this. From the NIV. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When you praise God, a stronghold is established against your enemies. When you know how to praise God. So anytime we come to church and we are praising and we are dancing before the Lord, if you are conscious of the God before whom you are standing, if, if you don't come to showcase how nice you are, how nice your clothes are, and how um, nice your dancing is, if you don't come to here to dance because of a man or because of a woman, but you are dancing before because of the Lord, and you are sure that you are dancing before the Lord, and your praise is an offering unto Him as you praise Him genuinely, as you dance before Him genuinely. Because the Bible says that we should praise God in a dance. As you do that genuinely, do you know what you are doing? You are building a stronghold against the enemy. You are building a stronghold against the enemy. Are you here? The next one is that the next way to break the spirit of dampness is to learn to prophesy. Prophesy to the bones. Ezekiel 37, 4 to 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So prophecy in this context 
is your capacity to quote God's word into a situation. To speak God's word into a situation. No matter how useless the situation is. This is a, situ a, a, a situation of dry bones. And you must understand the context within which this was written. The people at the time believed that if you died, you had the chances of coming back to life within the first three days. By the fourth day, you are finished. You can't come to life. You start decomposing. So you can't come back to life. But this one, it has gone beyond that. Now the bones are dried. And yet, the Lord said to the prophet, prophesy to these bones. And look at the content of the prophecy. He says, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Now God hears the voices of people who quote his word. When you are confronted with the situation, when you are confronted with a difficult situation, now listen, listen, the Christian life is not a life of, of no problems. It's a life that consists of a lot of problems. Many are the troubles of the, of the, of the righteous. Many are the troubles of the righteous. When you become a Christian, your problems begin to increase. It doesn't decrease because you're a Christian. They begin to increase. But you must prophesy to them. You must prophesy to them. You must say to them, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones here. This is what the, loving, the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. So he was quoting from God. I will let breath enter you and you come from life. This is what the sovereign law says. Quote a scripture that you have a revelation about it. Against a problem and you will see that there is a living God. Some problems have hung around too long in your life. It is time to prophesy. It is time to prophesy. It is time to speak for these problems to give up. Are you here with me? I will attack tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and the Lord will come and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So, so I prophesied as I was commanded. Whatever you speak must be by the command of God. As I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling noise, and the bones came together, bone to bone. No matter how disjointed your life has become, a scripture from the Bible can bring them together. Doesn't matter how scattered your life has become. A scripture from the Bible. Here, I've said within this context, to prophesy is to quote God's word into a dead situation so that the word of God can bring life back into that situation. And it is possible if you're a Bible student, if you're a career of the Bible, if you carry the Bible in your spirit, you can speak to problems and they will come back to life. Can I hear amen? amen. Can I see the next slide, please? Look, 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 look at, no, no, no. We're still reading the scriptures. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, 
but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, see, all the time, God has to speak. It's God's word. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to, to it, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord, Lord says. Come, breath, from the four wings and, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, as he commanded me. And breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. If we see a man whose words are powerful, they are powerful because they are not his words. They are the word of God. The power of death and life resides on your tongue. You can kill people by the words of your mouth if Satan touches your lips. And you can bring life. You can even kill your own marriage, kill your own business, kill your own children, kill your husband, kill your wife by the words of your mouth. Kill your life by the words of your mouth if Satan succeeds in touching your lips. And all you say are negative things, bitter things, negative things, bitter things, negative things, bitter things, negative things, bitter things. But if God touches your lips and the word of God is on your tongue, you bring life to things around you. May that happen to someone here. I said, may that happen to someone here. May the Lord touch your tongue. May the word of the Lord fill your mouth. He said, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. May God fill your mouth with his word. In Jesus' name. Listen, the Christian life is based on principles, based on revelation. If you catch them and you walk in them, you will go far. Can I move on? Six, spiritual madness. Spiritual madness. Can I have my phone? Spiritual madness. You know that the underlying factor of madness is misbehavior. You can tell somebody is mad by the person's behavior. Misbehavior. So I'm going to show you that some people are spiritually mad in the house of God. And don't follow them. A spiritually mad person, you can see how the person conducts him or herself in the house of God. If I become spiritually mad, you see the way I'll be sleeping with the girls here. You see the way I'll be misbehaving in this church as a pastor. There are many pastors who are spiritually mad. They misbehave a lot. They use the privileged opportunity God has given them to get money from people Manipulate them with false prophecies. Sleep with girls. Oh, there was this pastor who used to sleep with girls. And the girls would be fighting in the church. And he has a wife. And he can be preaching. They will call somebody and say, you, 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 you like me, isn't it? You like me, isn't it? And then the girl in front of the church will say, yes, yes, daddy. It's, a, it's madness, spiritual madness. In fact, there are, there are some brothers here who are spiritually mad. They are sleeping with their girls. They are doing a lot of bad things in the church. They are undermining the ministry of the pastors. They're saying negative things. They are mad. There are sisters here who are mad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard a lot of bad things about my pastors, but there can be pastors here who are mad. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Who are mad? Because they are misbehaving. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is there any mad pastor here? I don't know. I don't know their private life. Oh. I don't know their private life. But who are you when no one is watching? So let me show you how spiritual, how spiritual madness begins. 1 Corinthians 3 and the verse 3. For ye are at canal. So spiritual madness begins with canality. Canality. When, when Satan succeeds in taking your mind off the things in, on, on heaven, in heaven, and you begin to focus on the things on earth. Satan, that's how Satan begins to work. When it makes your mind carnal. When your mind is no longer, your head is no longer wearing the helmet of salvation. When you don't think spiritually. When you don't reason spiritually. When you are not spiritually minded. When you are not spiritually minded. When you are not Christocentric in your thinking. When you don't have the mind of Christ. When you think like an ordinary person, like any other person. You become carnal. And look at how carnality works. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So let me quickly, three things you will see that somebody is mad in the church. Three things you will see. Three things you will see that somebody is mad in the church. Number one, envying. Number two, strife. Number three, divisions. Please, Run away from anybody who is envy. Now, let me, let me try to tell you something Aristotle said about envy. <laughs> he said, envy, so he defined envy as pain at the sight of another man's good fortune. Stirred by those who have, who have what we ought to have. Envy is Envy is the pain at the sight of another man's fortune. There is some pain in your heart because another person is fortunate. A brother drives in here with a new car and you see it. Ah, there is a pain. So you see, there are people who are bitter in church against other people. Not because the other people have done anything to them. They are bitter because they cannot stand the good fortune of those people. It's spiritual madness. Because you see, the things God has given to that sister, it doesn't mean that if he had not given to that sister, he would have given it to you. Oh, true. Oh, a brother says, I have built a house. Please come and let's go and have the house opened. Hey. Stupid man, he thinks I'm a small boy. He's going to invite me to go and show off to me. And then you are so angry at the invitation. Why should a common invitation to a house dedication anger you? Why, why, why? Why are you angry that another man is praising his wife? No, I've seen some women who can become bitter because another man praises his wife. And talks well about his wife. Now, envy is an emotion 
which occurs when a person lacks another man's superior quality, another person's superior quality, achievement, or possession, and either desires it or wishes that the other lacked it. When the people of Jira saw what Isaac was doing, what Isaac was doing in the midst of farming, they were pained against him. They envied him. So you see, listen, let me tell you this. Some of you eh, are so unsmart that mad people can even deceive you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Spiritual madness. It starts, so it's, it's carnality. And it expresses itself, number one, in envy. The fact that your wedding is announced and someone's own is not announced, the person can be envious of you. Your progress can be the envy of someone. Your progress can be the envy of someone. I honestly didn't see the importance of envy. I honestly didn't preach about the importance of envy when I was a poor pastor until God started blessing me. Then I started realizing that people who said this is the best man of God in the world now said I was the worst man of God in the world. Then I started, some of them, I have their text messages. One day, I will send it back to them and tell them, but you said this about me. Now you are saying something different about me. Why is it so? When I was a poor pastor, you loved me, you celebrated me. Suddenly, God started blessing me and you cannot stand the sight of me being ahead of you. It's just like, like I cannot stand the sight of us being ahead of Kotoko on the league table. Oh, 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 oh no. No, when Chelsea was losing, I was not watching the premiership. I couldn't stand the sight of another team winning whilst my beloved Chelsea was losing. But when Tuzel took over and we started winning, I was watching almost every premiership, every because I knew we would win. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to show you this one is this one is a, a less dangerous envy. But the most dangerous, of course, if you see like the, the way Chelsea won the, the Champions League. When others couldn't win Europa, couldn't win Europa, just come on Europa, just come on Europa. Oh, come on penalties! The people who said our leading scorer was a penalty taker. Now penalties, just score. They could not. Now because they failed, they wanted us to also fail. They wanted Chelsea to fail. Hey, oh, they were having meetings, prayer meetings. Everybody, this church is sad. You're fine, Papa. They do not know how they say you're too heavy. Chrome, how everybody, you're fine. You, you're fine. You, but this on the light note, but it is a story, something to teach you how dangerous envy can be. Oh, I was so envious when I saw that chairman Asian. Suppose Akka has a folk. I said to him, I said, but chairman, why? Why, why, why? There is Kotoko. I have to lay hands on him. Honestly, I can't stand that. 
So, you see, so people who are envious become, carry a certain amount of bitterness. And you see them hating someone. And they speak so bad about the person. And yet, you can't pinpoint what the person has done to them. And if you tell them, so what has this person done? Say, hmm, if I start talking, I won't finish now. If I start talking, I won't finish now. And sometimes when they even give you the reason, you are wondering, should this reason be, make you this bitter? Now, enviousness grows into strife. Strife is angry or violent struggle, conflict, rivalry, contention, especially of a bitter kind. So, so somebody is envious of you. Now the person will not have to express the envy. Because you see, I pity people who are envious because you keep the enviousness inside you, inside you, and then it's beginning to give you hypertension. It's beginning to make you lose yourself. You are not, you no longer, you see, and it's the thing is killing you, and it's killing you, and it's killing you. So eventually you have to let it out. And in letting it out, do you know how you let it out? You let it out in anger and to strive. you can fight yeah you can fight and kill you can fight physically physically if they don't win at the physical fight if they don't win at the physical fight now they get into division because you see group fights sometimes you see that you alone your strength is not enough for this person you are envious of so i need a group to make impact to make impact so you begin to form a group. Now you begin to tell people about the hate that you have and the bitterness and the hatred you have about this person. Me, if you come and you are telling me something about somebody, get ready for me to ask. Because I don't want to carry your bitterness. Me, I'm a man with that bitterness. So. I'm a man with that bitterness. I'm a very happy person in life. I'm a very happy person in life because I proclaim good news. I don't proclaim bad news. So if you bring me bad news, I'm not going to keep it in my heart. I'm going to call for a meeting immediately. And I'm going to make sure that the bad news, we settle it there and we move on. And we are so beloved. Because the Bible commands us not to bear grudge against anybody. Not to be bitter in our hearts against anybody. So once bitterness begins to, you yourself trace the cause of that bitterness. Trace the cause of that bitterness and establish whether that bitterness is not based on enviousness. And then move, see, why am I even in conflict with this person? Why am I even fighting this person? Why do I even hate this person? And do a proper examination of your conduct and your intent. And you'll be helped. Help yourself, oh. I'm telling you, help yourself. Get yourself out of the pain. Get yourself out of the pain. It will kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heal yourself. Bandage your wounds. And get yourself out of the pain. Or else it will kill you. I'm begging you. It will kill you. Because, you see, the thing about being envious of people is that, you see, it breaks your focus. So it continues to allow the person to keep rising whilst you are falling. That's right. That's 
Especially if the person's source of blessing is from the Lord. They close wells. Eh? Isaac dug wells and they closed it. Then he moved on and the water on that wells followed him. He opened another well and they came and filled it. He moved on. He went into a valley. The wells followed him. He went on and on and on and on. The world f- followed him. So, the, the more they put sand into his gary, God turns the sand into sugar. Right. <laughs> Are you here? God turns the sand into sugar. So, if you envy somebody, get ready to die early of hypertension. Oh, yeah. If you envy somebody God has blessed, you will die by hypertension. Oh, yeah. And that is why, listen, I'll tell you, don't get yourself involved in people's battle. You don't know the source of it. Hmm. Don't get yourself involved in people's battle. People's battles, if you don't know the source of it, don't get yourself involved in those battles at all. Stray bullets can hit you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stray bullets can hit you. Have you haven't you heard? Of people who went to just even separate a fight and they were killed. I saw some people fighting. I sat in my car, blowing the horn. The others, somebody in the car said, Daddy, should we? Should we? No, 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 no. If the horn is not enough, let's go. Let them kill themselves. (laughs) These things, eh? You will get in there and a blow, a blow to somebody's head will rather hit you. Because, you see, the two of them, they know they are fighting. So they know they are aimed at. So they are ready to dodge and to dodge because they know they are fighting. You feel that you, you are not fighting some. So you don't have to dodge. Better is aimed at you. So this person's dodging will not hit you. Damn. Having to see boxings where the referee is hit. I mean, they are going to hit another person. The person dodges and they hits a referee. Today, when you go home, you just... Go, go to Facebook, uh, go to social media and just say boxings where referees were hit. You see, innocent referees in their ties, nicely dressed, they are not part of the battle, but just that they found themselves in the same ring where the battle was taking place. Please don't put yourself in a ring of people's battles. Get yourself out because the blow meant for that person may hit you. You are the one who will lose. Get yourself out. Get yourself out. As a general secretary of the charismatic churches, there are many pastors who bring their problems to me. Who bring a lot of problems to me. I have been very, very careful on how I deal with it. I don't emotionally get involved. I don't emotionally get involved. If you bring your problem, you can't let me call the other person. The problem is dead here. It's gone forever. Okay, the last one. My designer should have changed the, the, the distance on it. It was supposed to be a sign of a leprosy, but a, a leper, but it didn't change. So let me conclude. Let me conclude. Let me conclude. Spiritual leprosy. So ignore the picture there. Spiritual leprosy. It's not his fault, actually. I should have told you. Spiritual leprosy. Spiritual leprosy. Now, a spiritual leper is someone who is a contagious sinner. Do you know who a contagious sinner is? Let me show you. Now, Deuteronomy 24, 8 and 9. Be careful against an infection of leprosy. 
that you diligently observe and do according to all the Levitical priest tissue. All the Levitical priest tissue. As I have commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember the Lord your God who did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. Let me explain to you. Leprosy is one of the most contagious sickness. Now in the Bible, if you are suffering from leprosy, you are made to stay outside the community. And the day you want to come into the community, you must wear a certain garment and some rings must be ringing. So when you are coming, leprosy, leprosy, a leper is coming. And people will be running away from you. Because a very contagious sinner. Quite a contagious disease. Now, anybody who is sinning and tries to get you into the sin so that it forms the association of sinners. Eh? <laughs> the association of pleasant sinners. Is suffering from spiritual leprosy. You know, there are a group of girls, eh? There are a group of girls who can form friendship and they will not allow anybody to break into their friendship because they know what they do. They know the, the sugar that is they sleep with. They know where they go and do things. They, they know. And so, you, you, find your, you find that, ah, I am in this church. These people are friends. They are my age mates. I want to be close to them, but when I go, they shun me. They never let me. When they are having a conversation and I go there, they all become quiet. They are sinners in, in, in unity. A united sinners association. Sinners united. Sinners united. Hey! S-U. <laughs> sinners united. And this group of sinners was started by one person we just tell you, you stay there and be saying, daddy says, daddy says, daddy says. You will die. This vagina God gave us. He gave us for, 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 for us to make money with it. Oh. Me, my iPhone, and now you are suffering. You want to ask me. Yeah, there was a sister in this church. Very faithful sister. She used to tell me how when she is hungry, and she used to come to with her sisters. And when she is hungry, and she's the one who the message really affected her. So she was living a holy and a pure life. And the sisters were sleeping with men. When they get up in the morning and they prepare food, and she goes, can I eat some? We, we should go and give. You have body. You have body and you are going, you are hungry. You have body and you are hungry. You, you have body and you are hungry and you want to eat some of our food. Hey, no, not here. And the sister can go hungry because she will not give her body. They will go and look for, they will go and look for a boyfriend for her. That this man, this man likes you. He has money. He will, he will take care of you. Go and go in. She will say no. She said, you follow that city affair. Your life will be... But among the sisters, she has stood out. She followed the Lord with a wholehearted devotion. Today, she says, stand out amongst them. They wish they were... I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So don't follow the um, Sinners United Club. I'm telling you. Some, some people, eh, they, they, they are not... Satan plans them in your life so that you sing together. Among my pastors, there can be sinners united. One pa- it will start from one pastor. Charlie, daddy, daddy, daddy is not helping us cry out. The man, the, the man has money and we are suffering. Immediately you see the man has money and we are suffering. I, I, if I'm among the pastors, I'll just tell you that is his money. If it's a church money, then we can complain. But it's the man's money. 
Are we his children? <laughs> look for your own money, brother. If, let's look at the church accounts. If the church has more money and we are getting less, then we can even approach him nicely and say, can we have a salary increment? But our salary increment and lifestyle cannot be dependent on the man's personal wealth. So you break away from the Sinners United. Oh, Sinners United. There can be a group of men who will come together and say, we will never let this men's fellowship stand. It will come from only one man. It will come from only one man. We will make a call. Have you seen this? Have you heard this? Had this thing this? Had this thing that? And a group, a group, a group together. That's the spirit of leprosy. Please, if you want to sin, sin alone, die alone, go to hell alone. Don't put a group of people together because then you become an enemy of God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You become an enemy of God. And when I'm praying against my enemies to you, fall into it. Because you cannot be destroying what I'm building. You become an enemy. So when I say, Lord, let my enemies go blind, it's, it will affect you. Let my enemies paralyze, it will affect you. Let an accuser stand at their right hand and accuse them. It will affect you. Let their path be darkened and slippery. Let them fall and never rise again. It will affect you. It will affect you. Because I'm trying to create a church without, blem without blemish and take the church and present it to Christ. This is the bride of Christ. I'm trying to take the bride of Christ. I'm preaching so that your garments will become clean. So if you are in the church and you are sleeping with the girls, you have become an enemy. If you are in the church and you are, this, you, are, you are sleeping with a man, you have become my enemy. If you are in the church and you are gossiping and you are scattering people, you have become my enemy. If you are in the church and you have a bitterness and you are spreading the bitterness, you have become an enemy. If you are in the church and you are a gossiper and you are gossiping about people, you have become an enemy. If you are in the church and you are doing things that are sucking people from the church, you have become an enemy. You have become a, an enemy, a top enemy. And when I go on my knees and I say, Lord, Deal with my enemies. Make them barren. Make them blind. Make them go mad. Make them. Once I start praying that prayer, you, you, you come into the radar. You come into the radar. And it's a dangerous thing to be an enemy of the church. The Lord bless all of us and help us. Rise on your feet, begin to pray. And ask the Lord to help you get yourself healed from any of these diseases. Lift up your voice and pray. Thank you for joining me, guys.